Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy. Short little one-and-a-half-hour show today as we get you set for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Winnipeg Jets down at Scotiabank Arena as the uh, Leafs trying to sweep away the two-game season series against my Winnipeg Jets because I was born in Winnipeg and like lived there until I was three-and-a-half years old. Mm. Uh, so I can consider myself a Manitoban. Actually, my dad had season tickets for the Jets when I guess we were there, and then he decided never to take me to sporting events when we moved to Ontario. Um, but yeah, I guess I have like a little affinity for for the Jets. Like, do you are you like big Kitchener Rangers guy, or like if the Kitchener Rangers came to town, you'd be like, actually, they were in town. There, were, there was a report they were down there watching the Leafs practice uh, down at the Mastercard Center. Do you uh, do you have an affinity for? And I know Spain, you support at the World Cup. I'll do you one better. Okay. I support Winnipeg Jets centerman Mark Shifley because that is a former Kitchener Dutchman. That's a guy who came up playing at Don McLaren Arena. All right. That's that's one of our best outputs from the region. And and technically, I'm from Cambridge. But, like, as with Jamal Murray, Uh who's from Kitchener. Like, killing it right now, by the way. Yeah. And, like, yeah, he's from Grand River Collegiate. And I'm still going to claim him because... When you live in Cambridge, Ontario, you don't get a lot of pro athletes to claim. So, yeah, uh, I'll do respect to Kyle Clifford from Air. Mark Shifley <laughs> from Kitchener is what I'm going to claim here. So I don't know where Air is, but yeah. I it's guess just in, outside of Cambridge. It's barely a town, yeah. The it's odd... more of a town than Drumbo, where my mom lives, Drumbo, but it's I've... less of a okay. town than Cambridge. <laughs> uh, the Odd is great. So I imagine you've been to The Odd. The... I have played at the odd. That's which awesome. is cool. It's like a miniature Maple Leaf Gardens. It's cool, man. It's, it, it's a pretty cool feeling, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so um, let's get into it then. Leafs host the uh, Jets tonight, and uh, that is our top story. Ilya Samsonov getting the start in net after coming on in relief of a uh, pretty crappy Matt Murray uh, against the Florida Panthers and then stopping all the shots that he faced. And he actually is, is put together... Well, three, if you include the relief appearance in his last three, is a 929 save percentage. Now, there are no more back-to-backs for... By the way, I'm sorry, I, I'm not including that. Because <laughs> that is one relief appearance where he only faced 11 shots. Yeah. And then one pretty rough game and one good game. <laughs> hey, man, I can pick and choose the stats if you, I want. You sure Arbitrary can. endpoints. <laughs> you really, sure can. That's three games, but it's really, yeah, two and like uh, a half, maybe? Yeah. Also, well, like two of them were against Detroit. Whatever. Which, yeah. Okay. Is it or is he, it not well, true that Ilya Samsonov has a 929 save percentage in his last three appearances? It is true. It's also true that in his last seven appearances, he has an 876 save so percentage. So what? And in his last 12 appearances, he has a 913. Like, you can just keep doing this. You just keep moving <laughs> the Why don't we points. just talk about his season stats? Yeah. They're pretty good. They're yeah. fine. 916. Yeah. And that's over his last 18 appearances. All 18 appearances. Look, he's he's pretty solid. There was the one stretch of four pretty bad games uh, in mid to late December that, that kind of trickled into the new year when he wasn't playing a ton. But no, I think when you look at the balance of work that both of these guys have on the year, again, the schedule is loose enough right now that like they don't have a, a back-to-back until after the All-Star break. Yeah, February 10-11 is the next back-to-back. Yeah, like I don't think either of these guys is going to lock down any sort of real hold on the 
uh, on the playing time split. Would when, you want when, them to? No, but I'm just saying I, I've seen some, you know, some of the reporting out of or, or some of the articles out of Morning Skate today and stuff. You know, oh, maybe there's an opportunity for Samsonov to run with this a little bit. I, I just don't think the schedule is conducive to that anyway. On top of, like you said, in, until like, you know, maybe mid-late March, you don't really need one of these guys to run with it no but you would like somebody to kind of assert themselves like you would i i, I here's think the thing you would like them both to be playing really well so it doesn't really matter which of them plays well or when like if they're both playing well that's a good problem if they're both <laughs> playing poorly that's an unsolvable problem and if one of them is playing well and the other's not that answers the question that you have to answer by the end of the season so so as the, long as one goalie is playing well, you're okay. Yeah, the the thing that I think about when when thinking about this conversation that Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas are having behind closed doors is, one, who would they prefer to take the ball and run with it in the postseason? And I keep coming back to the guy with the two Stanley Cup rings, despite the fact that his recent uh, track record not so, gay, uh, not so great in Ottawa and Matt Murray and, boy, does he look not so great in his last two appearances against Boston and Florida. And we've seen that at times this, this season. But also the other guy is younger and cheaper, right? Mm-hmm. And he's a restricted free agent. So if he has a great year, Samsonov does, then you got to sign him to uh, a, a more expensive contract than the, the bargain basement one that you got him on this year. The other thing is in regards to like them switching back and forth and neither guy's been fully healthy this season is that in the postseason, yeah, there's no back-to-backs, but you do have to play, like, consecutive games, or, like, ideally, you'd play consecutive games, although we've seen time and time again in the postseason, teams have actually gone to multiple goaltenders in, in the playoffs, so, like, that's not out of the realm of possibility. I wonder if you can just go from playing every other game to, like, playing every game every other day in the postseason like that, or if you do have to get somebody's sea legs under them. And, and I know we're it's January now. We got a long way off before this has to be a thing, but I do wonder if they're if you're conditioning one of these goaltenders to to not play every other day, which is going to be the schedule in the first round of the of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. <laughs> you you laid it out there. Um, you know the the Samsonov contract situation is interesting because there just isn't a like there's not any track record of. RFA goalies getting big offer sheets mm-hmm. um, like may like there might be examples that, are, that I'm forgetting but usually if a guy is not in a team starting plan by the time he gets to this point he is traded or in Samsonov's case just available quite cheap so yeah I don't like I don't I get that they have more money and more term tied up in Murray but I really like you can't think about tomorrow with this team you have to they're in a situation where come playoff time whoever the better goalie is is going to play yeah and it doesn't like that's a tiebreaker but it better be we're talking down to the fifth decimal point tie whoever they think is giving them the best chance to win game one of the postseason gets the start in game one of the postseason and when you have two like average-ish goalies which i think they do like i think we can we can safely say that that you know these guys are at worst average, I would think. I mean, Matt Murray hasn't looked like he did the last two years in Ottawa, and Ilya Samsonov hasn't looked like he did at the end of last season with the Washington Capitals. That you just, you know, 
And when you got two bullets in the chamber, you figure like, yeah, 50-50 shot. That as long as they don't overlap, their crappiness doesn't overlap in the postseason, yeah. you're in good shape. I guess this depends. That analogy depends on what type of weapon you're using yeah. and what you're shooting at. <laughs> um, yeah, 50-50 with two bullets in your gun. I don't, I don't know. I hope you're like hunting easy-to-hunt things and yeah. not in like a, a desperate situation. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if I like those odds uh, all that much. But no, they're they're fine. Like and this is again, this is why we've talked so much about the Leafs defensive core and the improvements they've made on kind of the defensive system side because they are insulated from this stuff a little bit. Like, yeah, they're they don't have the best record over the last 15 as the goaltending has kind of cooled off, but they don't allow a lot of shot attempts in general they don't allow a, a lot of high danger chances they're pretty good on the penalty kill at minimizing their exposure like they this team is built now like a team that knows the goaltending might not be all that steady mm-hmm. yeah and uh, they really like here between now and the end of march when the deadline comes around all these two guys really have to do is give dubis and company the confidence that you don't have to go out and spend your limited trade chips on a goaltender. Well, that's not happening. I know. I don't know what would have to happen for that. Although that was a conversation when they were both hurt and crappy at the beginning of the the season. Yeah, and then it was, uh, you know, do you find... Can you find someone that'll take Murray on and you take back a, you know, a worse or a bigger contract? Or maybe someone has interest in, in Samsonov coming back. There was also the, like... You know, the people who every... And I'm guilty of this sometimes, too. And it's because... 18 teams or something like that have already used LTIR this year. It's like, oh, well, if Matt Murray's hurt, you LTIR him, and then you have space to add a goalie or something like that. But you have limited trade assets, right? Especially yep. with Nick Robertson done for the year now, and probably not, a, and Matt Hollowell as well. If you're taking a, if you have a, if you're taking a big swing, which it like the more you know, there, there are big swings to be made there, and real impact players mm-hmm. in the forward ranks, at least that yeah. that you could add I mean, to this team. That you're probably taking one big swing. Yeah, like you've got Nyes, Niemela, and a first. Mm-hmm. Those are probably like your three closest things that are to a blue chip trade asset, and you probably don't want to trade all three of them. And even if you did, trading all three of them probably doesn't get you two big ticket items. So yeah, the goalies just have to do enough that. This team can focus on the system around them and, you know, as weird as it sounds after the last couple of years, probably upgrading that offense a little bit. Yep. Uh, team had crappy goaltending basically all season long. Last season set a franchise record for points and went seven games against the eventual Eastern Conference champs. Although, you know, a couple extra saves in that series might have helped them. All right. Um, is this a do, do, does this matchup have juice for you? This all Canadian matchup. We're headed towards Hockey Day in Canada on Saturday. Leafs, Habs, despite, you know, the the season that the Montreal Canadiens are having, uh, they lost him on opening day of the season. That's always a thing just because of, you know, the way those jerseys look on the ice. I know for the Canadian teams coming to Toronto, it's always a big deal. And people were passing around the, the clip of Mark Scheifele a, a couple of years ago in the locker room after a victory over the Leafs said, is there anything better than beating the Leafs? Which, okay, that's all well and good. Um, I, I, I guess if... You can you can put your like theoretical cap on and and think about what if we still lived in a world where there was a Canadian division? Um, these two would be separated by only two points, and this would have real standings implications. Obviously, it doesn't. But yeah, does this does this have juice for you? Uh, only as far as 
the Jets are really good and it should be a really good game between mm-hmm. two good teams. I'm, I'm sorry to be so analytic about it. And that's uh, the way you are, though. Don't y- don't. Yeah. yeah. Don't deny your your true nature. Also, I'm being sarcastic. I'm just saying too good. <laughs> it's not analytic to say two really good teams uh, are going to have a fun game here. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it's actually a really good test for a Leafs offense that has been good, but not to the level that we expect. Like like Winnipeg is doing a very nice job. Uh, defensively this year. Um, I think they're third in the league in, in goals against average, and Hellebuck has a 924. Well, so this is it. This is the other thing I was going to talk about because the way we analyze this Leafs team, it's like, are they are they slipping defensively? Are they getting crappier goaltending? Are the, the Jets better this year? Is just Connor Hellebuck better? Well, I, I don't know. I would say there's something system there because Leafs legend David Riddick has been really good for them too. <laughs> yeah. Like, like they're doing a, a three-quarter split. Like, Hellebuck is once again, you know, one of the kind of workhorses around the league, but Riddick started 11 games and has a 908. Like that's, that's fine. And to me, when you look at that, like, yes, Hellebuck's very, very good, but similar to the Leafs, they don't give opponents a lot of opportunities to expose any weaknesses like that. So I think it's a good test for, for the Leafs. I, I would really at some point, and I know this has been a talking point over the years too. Like I would really like to see the power play start clicking again. Yep. And and who knows how many chances you get? And I know the 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 amount of power play opportunities was a conversation last game, mm-hmm. but they were two for seven, which is fine. But they also gave up a, a shorty in that yeah. one, yeah. Um, a real bad one. Yeah, the five forward power play thing doesn't look like it. They didn't practice last practice. They did not use the five uh, forward power play. So Morgan Riley was back on the first unit. Hmm. So we'll see if that's what they employ tonight. But yeah, no, there's a couple of things. Like if you want to do through line through the more than a half decade of, of first round playoff exits, there's two things. Like if you, if you think it goes beyond, well, one being cursed and two, like some, some like just innate thing within this edition of the Toronto Maple Leafs that uh, does not allow them to win postseason games or at least game sevens or game fives. Um, it's goaltending and it's special teams, man. Like it is, it is not too far afield to say that if, the Leafs got a little bit better at goaltending. Like, if they ever won the goaltending matchup in any of those six first-round series, they would have had a victory in one of these first-round series. And if they had gotten the better of anybody in special teams, like, if they had just scored the way they had during the regular season on the power play, they would have won one of these series. And this is why, you know, last year, early in the season, there was a lot of talk about Marner and Matthews and Nylander all playing different roles within the same power play dynamic, right? Like moving guys around so that maybe you have an option B if, you know, they take Matthews, the Matthews setup stuff, if if an opponent takes that out of the mix. And then we really didn't see that matter a lot. And now they're trying the five forward thing and they're trying different PP2 combinations. Like, I, I think part of the reason Connor Timmons was an acquisition is you need someone with some power play juice. Um, I think that, yeah, the fact that it hasn't worked in the playoffs, we're talking about small samples, but we're talking about repeated small samples. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm all for, whether it's the five forward thing or something else, I'm all for trying a bunch of different things over the course of the season. Yeah. You know, I think you can pretty reliably go back to your main five at some point, but I would like to see some version of it. Like, and again, they're, I think they're eighth or ninth in power play percentage. That's not bad, but you look at the talent on that line. You've they got be much better. You've got four guys who are, I guess, Tavares isn't on a point-per-game pace anymore, but he's close enough. And then Nylander and Marner are well over a point-per-game pace. Like, you should be a really good power well, play. And, and Morgan Riley should score a goal at some point this season, which he's still sitting on a goose egg. Yeah. 
I would uh, recommend that as well. Yeah. Uh, Sheldon Keefe is is the anti-Nick Nurse in this regard, too. When you talk about experimenting, like, he is open to it. Like, understands that, yeah, he wants to win the game. No doubt. But he understands he, he, he has a computer that has uh, the standings on it. And he can see that they're locked into a first-round matchup against the Tampa Bay Lightning. No matter what they do, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, there, there is an openness for, uh, for Sheldon Keefe to, 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 to try some non-traditional things, uh, to get some, some information as we head towards the, uh, the postseason. Speaking of, of head coaches, so I mentioned the one thing that's pretty significantly different between this edition of the Jets and last year's that missed the playoffs. This year's uh, is now first in the Central Division. That's the goaltending, which is the most important thing in this sport. But like the head coach thing too is 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 it really does stand out considering that Paul Maurice also went to the President's Trophy champions and they're out of the playoffs, right? Now, no offense to Paul Maurice, who brought uh, some postseason appearances to the Jets and man, great interview. By the way, a little lighter in the pocket today. He, he was slapped with the twenty five thousand yeah dollar uh, fine. But yeah, Rick Bonus takes over, and lo and behold, like the almost. A, exact same team is much much better and at the top of their division this is such a weird sport well in two ways goaltending and yeah the head coaching thing because the the coach does have tangible impact like he can control playing time he can control uh, line combinations strategy but in in large part the game of hockey is a free-flowing fast sport that's why it's so hard to pin down analytically that you would think it's the sport with the least impact from the head coach but time and time again we keep seeing this where Things like this happen where where coaches get fired midseason and go on runs. You see an offseason coaching change like we had in Winnipeg, and, and all of a sudden the team's fortunes change like that. Some of that is that hockey is a low-event sport that I think we need a big sample on, and the combination of those things just lends itself to some randomness and random runs. Like we talk about whether in hockey or other sports, the the dead coach bounce of like, Hey, every team plays pretty well after they fire the coach for a little bit. And it's just because you're kind of like, if you are bad enough for a stretch that your coach gets fired, of course you're going to be a little bit better (laughs) moving forward. And then you'll settle in as the type of team you are. So I I think there's certainly something to it. I am a a pretty big believer that without, with the exception of special cases, um, you know, the same voice in the same room is going to, have diminishing returns Mm -hmm. and you see that in basketball and hockey and you know like five-year cycles if you're if you're on the good end of things probably three like most coach deals are if you're a first-time coach you get three years if you're an established coach you get five years and that's in part because those are kind of the cycles that 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 those things seem to go in some of that is about competitive cycles as well like where your windows are um but there is some evidence that a, a change in voice or, or a shakeup is helpful after a couple of years. So there, there's something to that as well. That I, non-tangible stuff. Like, yeah. is this the sport where that's that's that impacts the 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 play on the surface the most? Like, is I, it feels like, man, the NFL, while it's a very emotional sport as well. Like, the the coaches' impact in an X's and O's way is like that's the more that's the more impactful. Yeah. Also, there are like 300 guys on the coaching staff, right? Or people uh, on the coaching staff, I guess. We're, we're yeah. starting to get some on-field women as well now. No doubt. And then baseball, it feels like, yeah, that's that's just like, it, it, it's it's hard for me to, to to make the leap that it's it's impactful. Like the 
the the emotional component, no. the, at, the, at the, point, the non like deployment thing yeah. with the manager. Although we did see, I mean, the, the the team wasn't run totally differently between Charlie Montoyo and John Schneider this past season, but we saw the results extremely different. Yeah, but also again. That was a team that was projected to win like 93 games yeah. that was underperforming. And like, I, I like, I like John Schneider. I, I'm not saying this as a, as a way to be negative about him. I just think that that team was always going to play better. Now the front office would seem to disagree with that, given that they have kind of continued on that path of changing the vibe in the dugout uh, through some of their off season moves. Now those are about outfield defense and other things as well. Um, but that seems to be a part of it anyway. I think there is a coaching element, of course. And, and, you know, I know that sometimes people think uh, an analytics-minded person or an analytics-minded front office doesn't value the coaching or the intangible all that much. But it's not the case. There's the, you know, the numbers side, the stuff we can quantify that says this is our expectation and this is what we think will happen. And then there's all this real stuff that actually happens. And that gap in between is not just randomness. No. There is a coaching element. There's a personalities element. There's a... Je ne sais quoi uh, to that. And I think, yeah, having like when you say the right coach for the right room who can press the right buttons at the right time is is a, an important thing. I like that we can't quantify it, too, that everybody can have their opinion on the matter and nobody can be shouted down. And I don't know, I, I, guess, I guess at some point, maybe we'll be able to put a number on it. Like, people are probably trying to, to figure that one out, right? Yeah, I don't know that we will ever be, like... Even like baseball managers. So one of the things I did back at Beyond the Box Score way back in the day was I tried to see if there was any validity at all to a manager being really good at managing close games. Mm -hmm. You know what the results were? No. If you have a good bullpen, (laughs) you're better at managing (laughs) close games than someone who has a bad bullpen. There was a little bit of stickiness like in season, but that was just because the bullpen doesn't change over a lot year to year. Once you control for the quality of the bullpen, the manager, there was one, and this is a hilarious exception. The one exception was actually Buck Showalter Mm. who like this was before the Zach Britton stuff. Yeah. Um, so that that was pretty funny to then see that happen. It's like, oh, the one guy who, after I ran all these studies, stood out as like he can manage a bullpen well, has like the all-time bad save your closer for a save a situation that doesn't come uh, moment. Yeah. That is weird. So like, do you believe that he has that, that skill no. then? Oh. No. Dang it. Um, I believe it was noise. Now, <laughs> hockey, you know, there's other stuff too. Like the Leafs have changed who's handling the power play a yes. couple times in this era. Mm-hmm. And the power play looks different. It feels different. But they've kind of run into the same issues or, or the same, you know, ceiling to that group. And, you know, maybe that's a, a personnel thing. But maybe it's also just if you change your power play coach under and every other coach is the same and the personnel is the same. Like how much does that one assistant in that one role change? Mm-hmm. Probably not a, a boatload. You know, you know, my guess is, is that like goaltending is outsized. Like it's, it's importance in this sport is, is so, 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 so huge that that's the only reason. Like that's the, that's the biggest difference between last year's Jets team and this year's Jets team is they, this is a team that's built around maybe the best goal. Ta- no, no. One of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League and Connor Hellebuck. And when he's playing like that, they're really good. And when he's not, they're not very good. We'll see. Sure. I All mean, right. again, though, the, the there is maybe a system thing there because the backup who 
couldn't get a cup of coffee here is mm. is like a, he's a career journeyman. I, I don't mean that to be negative about him, but like save Dave. Yeah. But like, has anyone ever had that guy and been like, yeah, this is the guy. Yay. I mean, <laughs> Calgary gave him kind of a split time role for a couple seasons, but he's already on his fourth team in seven years. And yeah, like him emerging as from an 886 guy to a guy who's like a pretty reliable backup at age 30. Like, I think there's probably a system element there beyond just, yeah, goalies are random and we can't figure them out. All right. Well, we'll. Uh, but I we'll... also think goalies are random and we can't figure them. Out. Okay, good. Uh, we'll see tonight again. Pre-game show starting about an hour's time here on Sportsnet five ninety. The fan that was today's top story. Also tonight, Raptors back in action against the T Wolves team that's playing on the back end of back to backs and traveling from Denver. Does it matter? The Raptors have had so many rest advantages lately, where they're playing a team on the second night of a back to back, and it hasn't mattered much at all, dude. Like this is. Yeah, it's it's one thing to lose to a, a Bucks team that is very good, but without its best player and its second best player and playing on the back end of back-to-backs. But they are the second best team in the Eastern Conference. It's another thing to go into Minnesota tonight and lose to a Timberwolves team playing on the back end of back-to-backs without Carl Anthony Towns and maybe without Anthony Edwards and maybe without Rudy Gobert, who's like in the last play-in spot in the Western Conference. I, I, I'm, I'm saying it's very much within the realm of possibility, but that would that would be uh, quite an insult to lose to this team tonight. They're favored, by the way. The Raptors are. Yeah, they are because <laughs> of all the things you just laid out. But I don't know, you know, where your confidence could come from in this team right now. And it's not that they're incapable of having good games. They beat the Knicks in overtime, and the Knicks are a good team. They obviously took care of business against you know, damning with faint praise, but they, they beat the Hornets twice in a row. Suck like, on it, Hornets. Yeah, and, like, they were close with the Hawks, who are 500-ish, but they should have won that game. They should have beat the Bucks without <laughs> a whole bunch of their good players the other night. Good job um, losing that game, by the way. Well yeah, done. well, that that's the other thing is, like, these teams are interesting parallels because they are in almost the exact same spot in the standings. They have similar records. The T-Wolves are kind of a little ahead in the sense that this past offseason was their offseason where they had to face down the question, add for now or sell for later. And Anthony Edwards is kind of in the Scotty Barnes spot where it's, totally. hey, we have this really dynamic up-and-coming player. Towns is a, a decent enough comp for um siakam hey a borderline all nba guy that we could get a ton for but also like he's hard to trade because when are you ever going to get someone as good as towns and then fred van vliet and d'angelo russell you know point guards with all-star upside who have some limitations and could be free agents at the end of the year like there was a real comparison there and you see with the wolves the dangers of if you are not very certain that the (laughs) all-in move you're making is going to push you over like Their all-in move to get Rudy Gobert has, like, sure, maybe it works out. I don't think it's going to. I didn't think it was going to at the time. It doesn't look like it's going to so far. And I don't think Rudy Gobert's player type is going to age super well. And he's making, like, $50 million in a couple years. That move, which was done because they haven't been successful in a really long time. And the franchise was being sold. And you want to make a splash and all those things. And you don't want to squander, like, having Carl Anthony Towns in his prime 
that gamble has probably going to show like it's probably going to look later like it set the franchise back several years because Dude. if you turned around and tried to trade Rudy Gobert now you're not getting anything <laughs> close to the same return if you turn around and sell Carl Anthony Towns that's great you would get a huge return for him but you're not getting like you're getting the same return for him that you paid for Rudy Gobert so then you're back in the exact same spot but with Gobert in place of Towns D'Angelo Russell's a free agent at the end of the year and constantly there are reports and comments in the media about, you know, that not being a long-term thing, even though him and Towns are boys. And then it's like, man, you've really got to hope Anthony Edwards is like a superstar, superstar. If you're going to remain confident about that team, or you, you give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, they'll eventually figure the Rudy Gobert thing out. And, you know, I came away from the JD Bunkus podcast this morning, uh, a little more confident just because Chris Finch is such a smart guy. And it was such a great conversation he had with JD, but Yeah, it's like if you are a person who squints and says this team won 48 games last year, meaning the Raptors, they should actually push chips in to make the most of this group. The Minnesota Timberwolves are your cautionary tale. Yeah, I'm not one of the people that are saying I know, that. but I'm saying that I lay it out. Like yeah. Those are pretty similar Dude, situations you, last it, offseason, right? It, you're, I mean, when you do, I mean, the player parallels too is is pretty remarkable. I'm just like... I'm staring at the the conditions, the the protections around the first round pick that are going to Utah. It's it's like two paragraphs long. So I I don't know. There is a way for them to hold on to that pick, though, right? Well, not really. Okay. Because like the thing with pick protections is if they don't convey, they just roll over <laughs> yeah. to a future year, right? And, yeah. and um, so it ended up being four first round picks plus a pick swap plus. Walker Kessler, who was the number 22 pick. So that's essentially another first round round pick. pick. And then four or three rotation players and like a Euro guy, all for Rudy Gobert. Which is working out swimmingly. Uh, By which I mean, yeah, the Timberwolves are holding on to the last playing spot in the Western Conference. I'll, uh, I'll tell you what. It hasn't worked out for the Utah Jazz either mm. because uh, they're too good. Yeah. They are currently 24 and 24 and not even in a play-in spot. They're just no, straight up in a playoff spot right now. <laughs> and I guarantee you when they traded Rudy Gobert for what amounted to five first-round picks, Leandro Balmaro and salary filler, Danny Ainge was not intending for this to be a playoff team. No. He then turned around and dealt Donovan Mitchell for infinite picks and Laurie Markkinen who, yeah, it's great to have a guy as good as Laurie Markkinen. My guess is Danny Ainge is really mad at Laurie Markkinen lately that this team is not in the Wemby sweepstakes. They're going to make the playoffs by accident. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't think that the T-Wolves pick would be better than their own pick. But yeah. 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 But you're, and and this is the thing is like if the, so the T-Wolves could still make the playoffs, but there's a scenario here where the Jazz are in the Montreal Canadiens, Florida Panthers situation, or more specifically because the Canadians are going to make the playoffs. The uh, Denver Broncos, Seattle Seahawks situation where they could make the playoffs and like if you're looking that's at a good it, spot to be in I know is. you be paying it you're I know you're talking yeah. in jest about how it's it's not yeah. worked out well for them and that like they're too this, good. this year of all years you'd probably love to just be further down the standings and have extra lottery balls but yeah if like right now once you already won the 24 games you're not getting to the bottom mm. if like the the incentives to be aggressively bad right now are no longer there for Utah because they might get some of Minnesota's lottery balls anyway, and they're not going to, I don't know, maybe they could catch the Lakers. They're not catching San Antonio or Houston or Charlotte or Detroit. No chance. There are some real bad teams. Yep. Uh, good news for the Raptors in the race to the bottom front, though, today over uh, in Paris, France, the Chicago Bulls. 
in front of uh, Victor Webanyama. Yeah. Uh, beat the uh, Detroit Pistons 126-108. I know we got to take a break, but did you see the Derek Jones Jr. thing? No. Uh, so on that team trip in Paris, he proposed to his, well, now fiance, in front of the team on the trip in Paris. It's like the, so obviously a professional athlete could not do a stadium proposal, but the we're on a work trip and we're out with my team. That's the version. Now, it all came across very, very cute, yeah. and she said, hell yeah, was her response. <laughs> um, so it turned out well, but yeah, that's kind of the uh, the athlete's version of the stadium proposal, I think. That's hilarious. Didn't even have to pay for his own airfare out there. Yeah, it's no. interesting. That's or, a good move. Or hers, I don't imagine. <laughs> I, I've seen some pictures from people on the Piston side. I have some friends in that organization. It looks like they all got a plus one for the right. trip. That's smart. Good move. All right, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk to Jim Ralph, Leafs radio analyst. We get set for Leafs Jets down at Scotiabank Arena. It's fan drive time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, and Blake Murphy as we get you set for Leafs and Jets pregame show starting at 6.30 here on Sportsnet 590, the fan is uh, these two teams separated by two points. Uh, Leafs lead the Jets by two points or the most points by any Canadian team in the National Hockey League. Uh, remember the Pearson Cup? It was a thing, remember? Nope. Was, that was the thing. The Expos and Blue Jays, there, I don't think it was an actual thing. Like it, there was no physical Pearson Cup, but it was awarded at the end of the season to the, the superior Canadian team in, in Major League Baseball. Hmm. I remember the Naismith Cup, which was just between yeah. the Raptors and Grizzlies. Exactly. And thing. then I wrote a big investigative. It's the only like real journalism I've ever done a, a big investigation <laughs> because nobody knows where the physical trophy is anymore. Seriously? Couldn't, and there was one. There was one. Holy cow. All right. Yeah. And at one point, it was at Maccabi Tel Aviv. At one point, it was alleged to be at the NBA Canada. They won it one year. Once Once the Grizzlies moved out of Vancouver, the <laughs> Raptors would defend it against, like, what? incoming international teams. So it, the the conclusion of this big investigative piece was I, I can't find it. Dude, we I need... spent so much time on it. <laughs> okay, we're, we're going to revisit that. But uh, I don't want to make Jim Ralph wait any longer. He's very kind to still be on the line. I assume he is. Uh, Leafs radio analyst. How's it going, Jim? Good. I'll be honest. I had a lot of stuff in my basement. I can I can take a yeah, look for look. maybe there when I get home today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. You you could you could end up with it. Um, should we should we see more Canadian team on Canadian team action? I mean, we got sick of it in the all Canadian division thing because it, it was just yeah. We needed to see some other teams, and we understand the reasons why we only got to see the Canadian teams that year, but. Yeah, this is it for for the Jets. They 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 already lost the Leafs earlier on this season, and and they they say goodbye. Should should we see more of the Canadian teams? Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you go there, then there's people going to say we want to see more original six. You only get Chicago, uh, you know, who's in the West now, and, and I'm sure the Blackhawks are a team that would like to see a little more original six action. So I think you open up a, a pretty big can of worms to deal with if if you say okay, you're going to get this, and then uh, wait and see what everybody else wants. All right, Jim, you're the man to ask this next question. Uh, yeah, well, well, we, yeah, you are. Um, because I, I, I'm having a difficult time. Well, I always have a difficult time with this sport, understanding whether there's there's like some systems difference or, or if it's the, the style of play is different or if it's just goaltending. So since December 15th, this Toronto Maple Leafs team is yeah, measly 8-6-1. and one. Before that, they were 19-5-6. and six. 
has this team played poorly for the last month, or are they just getting crappy goaltending? Uh, well, they haven't played as well. I mean, I, I think what we've seen is they've given up more odd man rushes. We say even a shorthanded goal, but uh, uh, the Florida scored. Even Samsonov had to make a couple of pretty important stops in the third period to at least a chance to win it in overtime. So uh, I, I would say overall, uh, the, the chances they're giving up are more dangerous, way more off the rush. And that's one thing, you know, during that 20, 25 game stretch where they were lights out, uh, they gave up so little. Uh, when it came to odd man rushes and, and even second chances in the slots. So, um, you know, they've fallen off that, that a bit. I mean, for the longest time, or they were the second, uh, second best goals against the National Hockey League. So, yeah, obviously a lot has changed in the last month, but um, hopefully they find a way to get back to that. When I dig into the numbers, Jim, and I, I bring these up just to ask your opinion on it, not to say they're, you know, gospel or anything. Um, what it, what the numbers show is that the Leafs have done a, a decent job still limiting high danger chances for opponents and, and particularly on the penalty kill. But the goalies are allowing more goals on the on that same or on that similar diet of shots. Um, do you do you see anything in that that that, you know, it, it's been the quote unquote easier ones or, or is it maybe more of a those numbers aren't capturing the odd defensive laps for this defensive group? Well, I think the, the the strange thing is with Samsonov and Murray, uh, you know, other than, other than the game against Florida the other night, uh, they've mirrored each other, whether it was both yeah. being hurt at the same time, both playing well at the same time, and uh, and both struggling at the same time. Although, you know, I thought the game uh, Samsonov had in Detroit was, uh, I mean, he made, what, four or five post-to-post backdoor saves, uh, and two of them in the second period, that, that should be in the highlight reel at the end of the season. So, uh, again, like I said, I, I think, you know, regardless of what the, the hard data might say, uh, they weren't giving up those opportunities before. But uh, definitely there's been a dip in the goaltending. Matt Murray, you know, his, his last home game against um, Nashville was probably his best of the season. And, you know, getting pulled early in the second period against Florida would, would certainly signify it was his, uh, his worst so far. But it's, I, I think you're, you're kind of looking for one of them to run away with it. And, uh, and establish themselves as the number one goaltender. And, you know, I think from a Leafs standpoint, because you've got uh, Murray for a number of years after this, that you're hoping he's going to be the guy. Well, yeah, you you do wonder if if Sheldon Keefe, if if somebody does take over, you know, has a couple of games in a row that are that are good. If if he gives somebody uh, some some runway here, the Leafs have a, a long stretch here without back to backs. So the next back to back is February 10th and 11th. Do you think? And I guess it was Matt Murray's opportunity uh, against Florida earlier on this week, getting the start in back-to-back games after the loss in Boston. But do you think Sheldon Keefe would, would actually, you know, ride one of these guys for an extended period of time? Uh, I would hope so. And I'm one of the reasons I know people talked about, you know, you want to be careful. And Murray's got the injury issues. And, you know, Samsonov was out this year as well. And, um, you know, thinking that maybe a split would keep them both healthier and rested. But, I think the uh, the danger you've got then is you say, okay, guys, you know, each guy plays about 45 games. You get to the playoffs, and it's now, okay, one of you, every second night, you got to go. You know, is there is there, is there a bigger adjustment mentally then? Is it, uh, does the rest outweigh the, uh, uh, you know, not having the repetition of playing every second night in the grind of the playoffs? So, I mean, I think no doubt it, it's a huge bonus if you've got two guys you can go to in the postseason. Um, but I still think you want to have somebody geared up and, and firing out all cylinders by the time you get there. So I, I think going into this season, 
most Leaf fans would have taken just like average goaltending out of those two guys, just to just not have the, the goaltending totally sink you this season, which it hasn't. Hasn't been great uh, recently, but uh, I mean, both guys were on absolute heaters uh, before December 15th. And the overall, Jim, like how would you evaluate the, 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 the tandem that we're seeing for the first time in Maple Leaf uniforms? You know, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Overall, I've been impressed. You know, I, I think there were some concerns that, uh, you know, maybe Matt Murray, is, his career was one step closer to being over, and he's he's bounced back. He had a, um, the games that stand out, obviously, the one at home against Nashville, but the one in uh, in Dallas as well when he shut out the Stars for nothing. Um, and Samsonov, who, you know, I, I saw him once last year, and he got pulled halfway through the game when Washington was here a year ago, and uh, and I thought he had a pretty tough uh, first round of the playoffs against Florida. So I I think he's been better than I thought he would be coming in. Um so it, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say they've they've been a pleasant surprise, and um, you know, you you talk to some general managers and scouts down here at games, and, and the question comes up: How many goalies in the league right now would you give more than a, a two or three year contract? Because it seems like, you know, somebody has a good year followed by a bad year. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, other than the guy in Tampa and um, Shesterkin in New York, I really like. Yeah, that's the Rangers as well. Even even Connor Hellebuck last year had an off year. Uh, but it's bounced back to, to have a pretty good one. Yeah, that's the thing. It's hard to, to criticize the move for these two goalies, even if they are average, because you, it, it meant that you didn't sign Jack Campbell. No offense to, to Jack Campbell, the human being, but like, yeah, imagine this team was saddled to, to that contract for the next half decade. That, that, that feels like that was a, a good uh, move of omission, Jim. Yeah, I think that uh, the Leafs actually started that tradition in the late 80s when uh, when Gord Stellick let me go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jim, uh, in front of those goaltenders, uh, we saw Morgan Riley, Timothy Lilligren as a pair uh, last game. Rasmus Sandin sounds like he'll draw back in tonight after uh, missing a game with illness, but at least at morning skate, he was paired with uh, Jordy Ben. Um, when you look at what Riley and Lilligren looked like together last game and the couple of times we've seen them earlier in the year uh, for brief glimpses, w- what do you like about that that pairing and what are you curious about with them if they're together again tonight? Well, I think they've been you know trying to find that fit for Riley since he's come back in the lineup. They tried him with... Uh... Uh, Justin Hall, and that didn't work out very well uh, with Connor Timmons. Uh, you know, there are moments in Boston where they weren't very good together. So uh, I would say right now Lilligren's probably the best fit. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, and, and you got to realize you're going to get T.J. Brody back at some point as well. And, um, you know, hopefully that solidifies your top two. But uh, yeah, I like the fact that they um, – uh, the, Lilligren seems to be a little more aware of when Riley's jumping up into the play. Mm. where sometimes Justin Hall was a little bit late reading it. And if the forwards don't read it, that's why you get the odd man rushes back. So um, I think they've been solid. And I, I, I think the bottom line is where the defense was so good before is they kept it so simple. You know, it wasn't uh, the defense jumping up into the rush trying to force the offense. Um, you know, they were, they were a lot more selective and it was always defense first. And, and I think the, the forwards, in fairness to the D, the forwards have kind of gotten away from checking to see somebody's got to drop back if the defenseman comes down the boards on a pinch and, and things like that. But I've like going back to the question, I've I've liked Riley and Lillard because they seem to be a little more in tune with what the other one's doing. Uh, Jim, thanks for doing this and uh, enjoy the game tonight. I'm going to do my best. Thanks, right. Fingers crossed for you. <laughs> uh, let's see, Jim. There's uh, Jim Ralph, Leafs radio analyst. Uh, this team needs TJ Brody back because he's really good. He's the fixer. 
and you probably shouldn't need a fixer for like $7 million defenseman, but you do. Well, so far this year, in terms of the pairings and what we're seeing from guys, Liljegren's emerged as a bit of a fixer too. Yep. If you got two fixers, I don't know. You can have some stuff that needs fixing, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't sad. know. No, well put. All I right. don't know. I what What is like, like, okay, so say game one's tomorrow, all the defensemen other than Muzzin are available to you. Like what, what pairings do you like most? I, I guess you keep Giordano and Hall together. Yeah, and then I think you go Riley Brody and yeah. Sandy and Liljegren. Yeah, I yeah. think that's where, where you're at at this point. I don't know that Sandy and Ben is going to be a good pairing. Probably not. Uh, and you you got to figure that, yeah, you're not going to be able to run through the exact six defensemen that you want to have in your lineup. I mean, that's what they say you need. You don't even need seven. You need, like, if 45 defensemen is what they say. Well, you joke, but, like... It, I remember. No, I, I don't joke because yeah. that's what they say. They, well, you need like nine, ten defensemen. You do need a lot of defensemen. Yeah, it's, I remember people thinking uh, our pal Kipper was like overstating it last year around the deadline when he was like, "No, the Leafs need like three more defensemen," <laughs> and then they went out and got two, and then it was still like, Ugh, "They kind of need another defenseman." Yeah, can't have too many defensemen. All right, I said I would circle back to the thing that we started talking about before we started talking to Jim, um, the Naismith Cup. Oh yeah. Okay, this is. So, where where did you write the, this, this yeah, story for? Okay, and it it it's still archived somewhere. Somewhere, yeah, yeah it's some, up there. Someone can read it. Okay, yeah. so you you called people up. Who was the last to win it? Because I'm going to solve this with you. We're going to no, we're going to hash we're, this we're, out. We're not. I promise you, we're not going to solve this. Um, who so, won it last? Maccabi Tel Aviv. Okay, so but, they they took it home on the flight. So the reason that <laughs> this story even became a thing. Uh-huh. was there's a Raptor fan based in Israel who had DM'd me when I made a joke about, um, like, uh, the Grizzlies and Raptors. So so what what launched all this was the Grizzlies and Raptors were wearing their old-school jersey, like their throwback jerseys in a head-to-head in August 2020. Mm-hmm. And... I made a joke about the Naismith Cup and someone messaged me and was like, hey, I was, you know, watching a Tel Aviv game like a couple years ago and they had the the trophy in the trophy case or whatever. So I started going down the rabbit hole of all the possible ways. So I'm trying to look at a list of everyone I spoke to for this story. <laughs> you still have that? Yeah. Um, Do you ever? Yeah. You don't delete files, I guess. Why would you? No, I mean, they don't take up much space. So uh, Glenn Grunwald, yeah. who was the, the GM of the Raptors at the time and and at the time of this story was also an advisor for the Grizzlies. Mm. So if either team had it, I figured he was, uh, he was a good target. Uh, I talked to Allison George, who at the time was, the M- was NBA Canada's director of communications. I talked to some other unnamed people at the NBA Canada offices who I was like, hey, I, uh, you know, know it's COVID and stuff, but if you guys are in the office at any point, can you just, like, look around for me? Um, it didn't work out that way. Uh, I spoke to... Uh, who did, who else did I speak to? Um, President oh, of Anthony, Israel. Anthony Parker, Prime Minister, who yeah. uh, is now uh, GM. He's now in the Orlando Magic front office, but he was, at the time... Tel Aviv beat the Raptors. He was on Tel Aviv, and then the Raptors signed him after. So he he played both sides, and I was wondering, like, oh, did you come with the deal? Um, I talked to uh, 
Tal Brody, who is the ambassador of goodwill for the state of Israel uh, and who played for you, Tel Aviv. So you did your, your due diligence here. Okay. Yeah, um, but did you go through the video footage? Because obviously this was... This, well, this how game am I was, supposed to get video footage of, like, I didn't the, have just a camera running? No, no, no. But like, the okay, so the game, the last game in which the trophy was awarded, right? Like, I but, imagine... But there, no, there, I've, I traced it past that. We know where it was past when... The trophy was last what, awarded. Wait, wait, why? why? There are crumbs. I can't read the whole story for you. It's like oh, you a don't 4, remember 000, it? It was like a 4,000-word story. <laughs> you want me to go through No, I just thought the... you might have remembered, like, where you thought it was. No. So this is kind of where it lands, is in 2009, Canada basketball took possession of the physical Naismith. Okay, good. All right. Uh, took possession of the Naismith Museum and Hall of Fame and their artifacts. So Canada basketball, as of 2009, potentially responsible. Um, they say they don't have it. Okay, so but you did track it outside of Tel Aviv, which was the last team yes. to win it. I had tracked it past Tel Aviv. So if you think back to And it Anthony, was back in North America? Allegedly, it spent some time at an office in at NBA Canada and then eventually made its way to the Naismith Museum and Hall of Fame, which is now run by Canada Basketball, but they don't believe that they have it. Okay, what's your your belief here before we take the break here? If, if, if I was asking you your best guess as to where the Naismith Cup is, do you think something untoward is happening, that somebody has it and they don't want to give it up because they have it like in their, no. in their games room in the basement? No, I think someone accidentally broke it, and oh. that's, that's why they're burying it. <laughs> they accidentally broke it, and, and not that it's like, uh, a trophy that you can break like imagine yeah. just the the top <laughs> layer of the stanley cup with right. a handle on it yeah. um it's it's not something you could break easily but yeah someone messed up the trophy and because no one's obey kubel did it no one other than me has any idea that this <laughs> is a is a thing or a story um they discarded it to get rid of the evidence that they had messed it up i that's I, my best theory i love this but story. i don't know who Dude, I, I won't be able to sleep until I find out where that thing is and what happened. You won't find out. Right. I'm telling you. Like, I put a lot of worry. Like, I, I, no, I talked I to you. members of, like, Israel's parliament. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I did my work. All right. All right. When we come back, um, Rymel Tapia has a new home. Uh, also, we'll probably uh, reflect on Aaron Rodgers' comments recently. It's Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Toronto Maple Leafs pregame coming your way uh, in about 30 minutes time down at Scotiabank Arena. Leafs and Winnipeg Jets, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention at all the tennis match that I watched today, Blake. I know not everybody was watching this thing. People were offended even that I said it was awesome. Um, and the Australian Open is the the least watched of the four tennis Grand Slams, and tennis obviously takes a step back. Um, from all the other major North American pro sports. Although this country has produced some pretty good tennis players recently, but 35-year-old Andy Murray with a metal hip playing in his second straight five-set match, the longest match of his entire career, up until four in the morning Melbourne time, knocked off uh, 26-year-old Thanasi Kokonakis, Australia's own, uh, in just like a legendary epic, epic match. I, I tweeted out, when the tennis is good, it's the best sport going, which was like a little bit hyperbole. But honestly, there's a part of that that I do believe that the, the, the human drama of people playing a sport 
at that high cardio level for six hours at four in the morning. Like there's there's few things that can beat that. People took offense to that. I, I feel like people are over making fun of soccer. Remember that was the thing like 10 and 15 and 20 years ago that you would be made fun of if you were like a soccer person in North America. Um, obviously, I think I we're past that. I remember that. that. No, that was the thing. that People get mm. made fun of if you like soccer. I have, people I've, had no problem making fun of me because I like tennis this morning. Uh, I've never been one of those people that cares what other people like or like like the most bizarre thing to me is that like the pineapple on pizza thing is such a like touchy thing like i just i i I don't care what you enjoy eating because it doesn't affect what i am eating and enjoy eating i don't care if you love tennis more than you love a really good game of soccer Mm. because if i prefer soccer that doesn't it doesn't take away soccer Mm, from me i don't i just don't people like their own things yeah. And I think, you know, the way you said that about tennis, the when it's the best, it's the best. That's how I feel about pro wrestling. So I, I get it. Dude, and I, I don't I don't uh bemoan Two very your- real sports. <laughs> <laughs> okay, actually. You know what? I do have a wrestling question for you because yeah, as I up? mentioned, I have young children, uh seven and four, who every Wait, time sorry, can we come back to wrestling? Because I have one more thing on the tennis. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um why did the match start at ten o'clock? p.m local Dude, time this happens so this happens at the u.s open too you'll notice that it, it they these matches happen depending on how the previous matches end and you will get match this match started at like yeah 11 o'clock local time at the u.s open maybe not four in the morning but you do have matches going two and three like this is abnormal like i said this is andy murray who's had a long long career the longest know, match he's I ever played andy murray is yeah <laughs> yeah is the longest match he's ever played in his career but yeah it's also nutty that they wouldn't let him go to the bathroom for the last hour of this match there's a viral video yeah. going around of him saying please sir may yeah. i go to the bathroom They're so, like, no well, there is that andy samberg kid harrington mockumentary seven days in hell yeah. about a tennis match that lasts seven days and like <laughs> It's not that inaccurate, I guess. Like seven days is a bit much, but the, hey, this match is going on so long that we had to put our foot down and not let you use the can. Well, famously, the Isner-Mahout match at Wimbledon, the longest match in the history of tennis that ended in a fifth set 70-68, I think was the final final, uh, game count in in the fifth set, did have to take place over three consecutive days because they didn't have lights at, at Wimbledon at the court they were playing at at the time. Uh, and that went over eight hours, I believe, was wow. the, the total on that one. Yeah, no one's going to have anything on uh, cricket still, which uh, the longest test match was about nine days long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think that one's going to have it locked down. But, yeah. Yeah. Good for them. I I mean, tennis is – I've always thought tennis is – it looks like the most exhausting sport. Like, if yes. you were to drop a casual person who's in, like, relatively good shape oh, but yeah. not, like, obviously professional athlete shape – some might struggle with soccer because of the length of the time. Right. But tennis seems like the one that, like, like that would be the one you're likeliest to throw up during and, like, the quickest to throw up. 100%. And, yeah, I mean, the the, the highest of the high-level athletes that are playing it, like, even at 35 or 26, if you're talking about Kokonakis, like, they looked like they were about to keel over after every point. It was incredible. It was incredible human drama to he's, watch. Anywhere he's 35 years old has a replaced hip and plays five, six hours of tennis. <laughs> I, I have trouble, like... 
like watching six hours of something yeah. and I'm like exhausted. I'm like, oh my God, I need a break from this break. Well, I can't imagine anybody, I mean, if you were in attendance, but like anybody that actually was watching the whole thing start to finish at home on television, like it's well, an impossibility. That's the thing. I, I tuned into it in the third set when Kokonakis was looking to put it away. He had a, a service game for the match at like the two and a half hour mark and he screwed it up and he didn't realize he had three more hours of tennis left. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's similar to how I felt about like very long baseball games in the past where like there's that lull where you know innings like 13 14 you're like oh, I yes. wish this would just end yes. and then it hits a point where it's like oh no I'm part of something special right 100%. now I, there's no way I can turn this <laughs> off now I, I'm I'm stuck I don't care if the concessions have been closed for nine innings uh, yeah I'm and then the bottom half of the innings you're definitely not going to the bathroom or anything because what if there's a walk off in the, the 18th inning yeah I don't know what the laws are in Australia, but that's, I'm assuming that's... It's Australia. The whole country is founded on not having laws. Yeah, I I suppose. Yeah, the people who, yeah, were only there because they didn't obey the laws, I suppose. But yeah, I I don't know. So maybe they were serving beer until four in the morning. But this is a weekday. Uh, Interesting to see what people look like uh, at at work on uh, on Friday morning. I think if you get to be a part of something that special... particularly if you're a huge tennis fan, you don't really care. Yes. Oh, 100%. Also, uh, baseball games, once it hits a certain inning, you should open the taps back up. That should be allowed. 100%. I agree with that. All right, to my my wrestling thing. Uh, Yeah, what's up? Okay, so again, I have kids that are right in the prime demo for for wrestling at 7 and 4. I mean, they they practice on each other. They just of course they beat do. the hell out of each other. Which of course is- they do. My nephew's like not even two yet. And when I was home last weekend, he's starting to enjoy the like, if I swing him and like kick my brother with his feet, <laughs> he's like, he's and, and like using him as a weapon. Yeah. And like he, he hasn't figured out jumping off the couch yet, but he likes like walking off the edge of the couch onto someone. So like, oh. he's very close to doing top rope moves already. Yeah. And he's not even two. Your kids are like, not quite prime age because you need they are the right age separation though when they're like 11 and 8 and the 11 year old is like strong enough to like do some stuff but yeah that's that's a good age gap yep um so they're gonna be workers yeah <laughs> we're gonna make sure there's lots of pillows in the house i suppose but no they they every time we flip by rasslin i gotta stop and and yesterday on, on Sportsnet 360, NXT was on, and they, they, they said, we're not flipping away from this. And in fact, we're staying up to watch the end of this. Wow, you let them stay up till what, 10 o'clock? Nine. It was nine o'clock. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was okay. Um, but then they asked me, and they've asked it before, and I think I've answered the same, although they must not have remembered because they asked me again. They're like, hey, so are they really, is this fake? Like, are they hitting each other? And I don't know if it's like like what I'm supposed to say here. And I was like... So I did, like, give it up. I was like, no, it's pretty impressive, like, the athletic achievements that they're doing, but they're not actually, like, punching each other in the head. Like, did what, what am I supposed to say here? Is it Do I let them discover that on their own in, in like, in years of, of watching wrestling, or do I t- talk about it right out of the gates no, like I did? I would say if they are at an age where they're performing wrestling moves on each other, it's important okay. to <laughs> it's, it's important to be at least a little honest with it. Um, you know, the the reference point would depend a little bit on what they're into. Like, I think it's the easiest is just like you kind of point toward the movies, right? Like mm-hmm. that's those fight scenes are like cool and like they they do that stuff, but they're not actually hurting each other. Um, it's like 
I, but I, they like, are hurting each other. That's the they, thing. Well, that's, they, that's what I wanted to. I wanted to be clear. I, I don't know any four-year-olds, so I don't yeah. know how you explain <laughs> the nuance of this to a four-year-old. Where these things hurt and these guys get injured, and it's not like if a three hundred pound guy jumps on you. Yeah. That hurts as if a 300-pound guy jumps on you. But there are ways to protect each other, mm-hmm. and that's the art of it. You know, mm-hmm. like like to other adults, I would kind of describe wrestling, especially live wrestling if you go. It's like it's combat drag. Like yeah. drag brunches and drag race are popular now. Like wrestling is combat drag. Yeah. Um, now, for kids, I don't know that's that. It, that's well put. I don't I've know never that, heard it said that way. That, hits as well for for kids but no, like they don't know what yeah no but the the important thing is that like yes you're hurting each other but you're also protecting each other that's mm. that's the art of it um so what did you i i have to ask because i'm not fully caught up on nxt but i know that braun breaker is the nxt champion did you see that particular character uh i maybe was he wearing he just wears like the underwear no, he, Who's that guy? he wears There's a singlet. I saw, yeah, I saw. You got to be more specific with the guy that just wears the underwear. <laughs> there was a guy with like a ponytail just wearing like white underwear. I don't, honestly, I couldn't. That sounds familiar though. Okay, so here, and, and I want your take on this. So you at least have a passing knowledge of who wrestlers have been in the past, In the right? past, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, I can't. So 10 years Braun Breaker, and beyond, maybe. Braun Breaker, obviously a ridiculous name for a character. Okay. WWE has this thing that they do where they don't, they will recognize someone's lineage if their family have been in the wrestling business. So like The Rock, nobody denies that like, oh yeah, his dad was Rocky Johnson. His Mm -hmm. grandfather was High Chief Peter Maivia. But to use his real name, they were like, no, no, absolutely not. We're not going to recognize that in your name. And WWE has a long history of this. Like Curtis Axel was a guy and his dad was Mr. Perfect. Like you, you have that Mr. Perfect Joe Hennig. Um, you, you have that name or, or, um, and they, they come up with this, this silly one. There've been a bunch of guys too. Mr. Uh, Imperfect. Yeah. That, that do that. And they always change the names. The exception being like Charlotte Flair is Ric Flair's daughter, but Ric Flair is like, like the, the last name Flair is like a gimmicked last name. Yeah, it's not his real name. Well, his last name is actually Flair. It's Wait, just spelled what? different. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so Braun Breaker is the son of Rick Steiner and the nephew of Scott Steiner, the Steiner brothers, one of the most legendary tag teams of like the 80s and 90s, and Scott Steiner who went on to be like WCW world champion. On top of which, the name Steiner is not their real last name. Mm. So WWE could own the trademarks on that name and just like give him his family last name on top of which his real name is Bronson Rex Steiner. And he, before he got to WWE, he went under the name Rex Steiner, oh. which is his last name. Like, how do you come up with, you have why, all why this would family they, Why lineage, would they deny that? You have a cool name ready in Rex Steiner. Yeah, that's brutal. That's and, a swing and a miss. And you go with Braun Breaker. Yeah. I think I saw him. He was wearing underwear. Uh, which no, my, he my wears children, a singlet. Oh, okay, so that wasn't him. No. Maybe he was. Okay, I don't know. My kids. That's also the appeal because they love to run around in their underwear. It's okay. like they're like, this is a job you can have, and you just wear underwear. I was like, yep. Anyway, it, sorry. I know this is a little too much wrestling for for no, a lot of people. I open the door. Listen, the, the last name thing. The the we will mention that he's Rick Steiner's son, but not explain that he's named Braun Breaker <laughs> instead of. Something Steiner. Yeah, it's weird. Um, it's a it's a little silly. Anyway, I'm glad your kids are enjoying it, and I'm I'm sad that it doesn't work out for you guys to come out and, and 
watch the one that I, I offered you tickets to next yeah. weekend down at the rec room that I'm commentating. Yeah. Well, well done by you that this is, yeah. I mean, you have a million jobs. This is a million and one that you are also a wrestling commentator. I, I thank you for the invite and we absolutely would have gone and maybe we'll go next time. All right. Next time. All right. That was a wrestling segue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about this Aaron Rodgers stuff because he was on the Pat McAfee show, uh, his first media availability. You missed a great segue there, by the way. Pat McAfee, who has had a oh, match at a WrestleMania, and like he's not doing it right now because of his other football duties, but like for a good stretch was a color commentator on SmackDown. Dude, and the other... And he's really good. One of the other characters in this saga, Rob Gronkowski, is the former hardcore champion, isn't he? 24-7 champion, oh, it was sorry. called at that point. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, he had he has a famous WrestleMania story of like at WrestleMania, they wanted him to jump off of this like... Um, scaffolding thing and yeah. he was worried to do it so like 75 year old Vince McMahon did it as like see it's no problem for you a 30 year old <laughs> professional athlete that's like a like a what are those called um, I don't know just like a, a story that's part of the Vince McMahon lore yeah of like hey at 70 75 he's like jumping off stuff so that Rob Gronkowski will be comfortable doing it well anyways a couple of wrestlers uh involved in this story so uh We'll we'll play a clip. Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show and Rob Gronkowski on a on a podcast reacting to that. Do I still think I can play? Of course, of course. Can I play at a high level? Yeah, the highest. I think I can win MVP again in the right situation. Um, right situation is that Green Bay or is that somewhere else? I'm not sure. I'm totally fine with everything he said, except one major part, and that's the MVP again. It's just that I think I. I think I could win another Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and, it, and then that would have been totally fine. Like, like, bro, like, why are you thinking MVP? Like, don't you want Super Bowls? Like, Super Bowls are, are I think, five times greater than a, than an MVP award. All right, well done by Gronk playing the role of like talking head, like that. That yeah, Rob. I mean, could be on first take, but that was a very first take type like answer. It's like, what? Yeah, of course. Like, it's me, me, me. How about team, team guy with one Super Bowl victory and. And and no other appearances since then, despite winning all your MVP awards. Um, but yeah, this raises the specter of, of the the future of, of Aaron Rodgers, who's 39 years old. Tom Brady's 46. Tom Brady is a free agent. Aaron Rodgers is notably not, and his contract is Ooh. super, super complicated. Do you want the numbers? Okay. So I ha- I looked this up. Um, so this is via over the cap, which is, you know, football's version of cap friendly or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so if Aaron Rodgers were to retire the Packers and him would likely restructure his contract to minimize the long-term hit but it would still carry 16 million in dead cap next year and 24.5 million in dead cap in 2024 if they trade him uh, he doesn't have a no trade clause but the timing here is important so if he's try if he's traded before June 1st uh, the Packers would have a 40 million dollar dead cap hit if he was traded after June 1st it would be again 15.8 million uh, next year and then 24.5 million in 2024 and then he cannot be cut basically uh, because his salary is fully guaranteed they would take on almost 100 million in dead money man the NFL Salary cap structure, the NFL, CBA, is is very, very complicated. Yes. But um, the, the Packers are kind of screwed either way with Aaron Rodgers. So unless he's my, good, my I would answer, say. That, that's that's, that's the, 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 the response to that. Yes. My answer to Gronk is, yes, I get that. But And Aaron Rodgers is absolutely not, like, everything we've heard from him in the last couple, like, he's not self-aware enough to, to be thinking this way. Like, he's mm-hmm. thinking MVP because probably he's 
self-centered and, and yeah. sticky selfishly. My my take on it, though, is he actually has a better shot at an MVP because if you have uh, a cap hit that's substantial and the, <laughs> the Packers need to get enough of a return to be okay with eating like a $40 million cap hit, uh, it's really hard to build a, a team around you and continue to add around you in a Super Bowl caliber way and a team that went, uh, you know, not for whatever they finished this year, not good. Yeah. Uh, they're not in the playoffs. Um, where'd they go? Eight and nine. Yep. Yeah, they had They're, a chance if they had beaten the the Lions, uh, of yeah. course, notably in, in week uh, 18 that would have been in the playoffs. But yeah. yeah, they're kind of far away. They're not very good. No, they're not. They came on a little bit late in the season. But here's here's the question um, I think we should bandy about because it's possible that both Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are playing next year. It's also possible that both guys are retired next season. Tom Brady's 46. And like I said, Aaron Rodgers is not 46, but he's no spring chicken. He's 39. It's quite possible that, like, normal aging curves apply to to Aaron Rodgers and that he is, in fact, cooked. But if you're trading for Aaron Rodgers, you're taking on a multi-year commitment. If you're signing Tom Brady, you're listen, Tom Brady's signing a one-year deal. This is it. It's a shorter Mm -hmm. commitment. Um, The the track records this past season are similar-ish. I mean, I guess I saw more flashes out of Rodgers than Brady, but neither guy was spectacular from accounting stats perspective. Who would you feel more comfortable attaching your franchise to? One year of Brady at 46 or multiple years of Rodgers at 39? Yeah, it, the the honest answer is that it depends where your team is, what kind of team you are. But either way, you're going all in for right now. Um, I, I think, sorry, you're going to have to answer your t- thing first because i'm gonna sneeze all right (laughs) i i think the answer is the guy that you think has the best shot of being super elite next season no matter what happens beyond that and that's still aaron Rodgers. So to me, that's Aaron Rodgers. Although Tom Brady was second in MVP voting last year. Yeah, but that was last year. What yeah. You, you know lately? who was first in mvp last yeah, year? Yeah, aaron Rodgers. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> um, it's a great point so yeah i i choose Rodgers as well um you know, I think both of them carry some non-football uh, no kidding. baggage with them. Um, and Brady, you know, Brady at this point obviously still led the league in, in completions and, uh, and attempts and was near the top in a bunch of other stats. But you got to you have to be very careful with how you build an offense around Tom Brady in terms of, you know, how often and how far downfield can you throw? Mm-hmm. And you really have to protect him because there's not a lot of mobility there. Aaron Rodgers is probably not exactly fleet of foot at, at this point either. Uh, he was sacked 32 times this year. But, like, in his prime, he was getting sacked regularly. It didn't really matter that Dude, much. So, I think by the end of the season, I thought Tom Brady looked washed. I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily think that of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they, they lost a game that they needed to win to get into the playoffs. But, yeah, the Lions were a better team than we all anticipated. There's, yeah. there's no shame in losing to the Lions. And the, the one thing you'd point to statistically that Rodgers did a worse job of this year is, you know, it's the worst season he'd had since 2010 in terms of uh, how often he threw interceptions. Mm-hmm. But, like, the four years before that, he had the best interception rate in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I used to do this, this segment on radio called Is This Anything? If we're trying to predict what Tom Brady's next move is. Is this anything? Oh, uh, it's according, something. According to Arash Markazi on Twitter, Win Las Vegas, a partner of the Las Vegas Raiders, has announced a partnership with Tom Brady in TB12. Guests can now book an appointment with a TB12 body coach For one-on-one instruction in the TB12 method, the regimen that sustained Tom Brady's champion-level play. Before you answer, if this is anything, like, 
Well, I, I would love to get a list of the people that are paying the, what, like tens of thousands of dollars to talk to Mr. Avocado, who's probably not even the real Alex Guerrero. It's like the the, the, the multiple crusties, like they're franchising Alex Guerrero's out there. Like, you're an embarrassment to your species if you're taking the win Las Vegas up on this offer. That being said, is this anything? I think it's something. Um, it's a cash grab. <laughs> it's uh, snake oil. <laughs> yeah. And look, there is probably... On both sides of this, maybe Tom Brady and the Raiders themselves are not specifically involved with this, but you don't roll this out without being very, very aware of the Brady Raiders stuff being out there. So it's just a, I don't want to say it's smart because it's kind of gross, but like, yeah, you could see the, uh, you could see John Hamm sitting in the, in the marketing room. And, and well, and the other thing is like we, we think of every decision being made from a pure football perspective. And I would say there's a large part of that. Even when Brady left the Patriots to join the Buccaneers, he joined a team that was good. But it was also like a lifestyle and like off the, the field like that is kind of still like because everything's it can't get any better for Brady. Even if he looks garbage at 46, he's the greatest of all time and nothing's being taken away from him at, at, by that point. If there's off-field stuff that he wants to maximize by playing for the Raiders, and if the Raiders feel that there's money to be made by bringing in Tom Brady, sure, they'd like to win. They're not bringing him in if they think he's a total stiff, but, like, do I think there's a possibility of, of like, you know, dollars and cents impacting both sides' decision-making this offseason? I think it's very, very likely. Yeah. He's going to go to the Raiders, I think. I, uh, that's certainly the way it looks. It also looked like he was retiring last year, so I don't know. All right. Um... Rymel Tapia has a new job, maybe kind of, sort of. He's on a minor league deal with the Boston Red Sox, who have had this very disappointing offseason, I would say. Holy cow. Adam Duvall is their starting Duval. center fielder. Adam Duvall, uh, who has played some center field, and uh, he did all right. He's not fleet of foot. He's 34, but this is going to be his first season as a I mean, everyday look, center was, fielder. He was on my list of guys I would love for the Blue Jays to grab for as sure. their fourth outfielder. Yeah, no, he's the starting opening day center fielder for your Boston Red Sox. Kike Hernandez uh, forced into shortstop duty because Trevor Story uh, is broken, and he had to have surgery in the offseason instead of uh, earlier than that. Um, Araldis Chapman also signing with the Royals uh, on a deal worth just shy of four million bucks. There's a bunch of incentives there. Um, he looked, uh, I mean, erratic is probably underselling it the way he looked. And then he decided not to show up for the Yankees before their postseason series, and they were done with him. And he's also Araldis Chapman. I mean, honestly, I just am beyond caring with this guy and where the Royals are. Like, okay, what's the upside? Do you, he's decent, and you trade him at the deadline. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick he still of, he struck people out. Yeah, I'm sick of this dude. Yeah, for uh, myriad reasons. Yeah, uh, and I think people are well aware. And if you're not, go uh, look them up. All right, time now for last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. You got the Winnipeg Jets at Scotiabank Arena taking on the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Leafs naturally are favored at home minus one sixty five. Favorites anytime goal scores. Austin Matthews leads the way at minus uh, one twenty one. William Nylander is plus one thirty five. Mitch Marner plus one fifty five. Raptors in Minnesota taking on the Timberwolves again. T Wolves playing on the back to back after traveling from Denver and without three of their best players probably. Yeah, Raptors- I mean, no update yet, but they're yeah a bunch of guys are questionable and Towns is out. Yeah, Raptors six point favorites. 
in that one. And that was Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Toronto Maple Leafs, Winnipeg Jets, an all-Canadian affair down at Scotiabank Arena. Pre-game show coming your way in mere moments. We will be back tomorrow. For Blake Murphy, I'm Ben Ennis. It's been the Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.